Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. I was kind of dragged into doing a mini teaching to launch Katie into more practical application and activities. And part of me suspects that the reason I was asked to do that is because by temperament and personality, I'm the least likely person to be all about the prophetic. I feel like I'm very linear, cognitive, rational by nature. And so maybe I'm the perfect person to try and give a little pitch and almost what I felt was a little bit of a plea to us as a community today for the necessity and the centrality that the role of the prophetic plays in the church and in the vibrancy and health of the church. I've been feeling this in my heart the last six months, and it started one night. We had just had a house church gathering at our home, and some of us, like 10 of us, were sitting out back around a fire and just talking about life. And I prompted everyone with the question. Everyone in the group was probably 25 to 35. And I just said, well, I'm so curious. Why are you guys all still trying to follow Jesus, trying to be faithful, right? When when there's every reason in the book in this cultural moment to be disillusioned, disenfranchised, hurt, and walk away. There's every legitimate reason, and millions of our peers or millions of people at multiple generations, but especially kind of the millennials for those of us in that demographic of 25 to 35. And I just said, why are you still trying? Why have you not given up? And nine out of 10 of us said safe community that there has been space with authentic relationships where they've been able to process their faith rather than bottling it all up and then having like a big crisis moment. And then one girl, I won't out her, but one girl said the prophetic. And, and I was almost taken aback by it. It felt kind of out of place. And then the more I've sat in it, the more I've realized how equally foundational I think it is for a church community to be providing both for us. We need a place of safety and belonging where we can be a mess or we can process hard questions. And we also need the vibrancy and the life of the spirit breaking into that community. We desperately need the prophetic. And so that's kind of, that was my departure point of why I think this entered into my prayer life and entered into this like deeper place in my heart of passion for this season. So I'm going to read a quick scripture verse kind of as a departure text today. It's very familiar, maybe almost too familiar to us. It's Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Notice there the conjunction is and, right? Love and spiritual gifts are meant to go together. I'd say love's the trumping value, but the spiritual gifts are meant to help love flourish in a community. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And Paul goes on at length to basically say he wishes that all of his audience reading this letter would prophesy. And it is, amongst the spiritual gifts, probably the one elevated as the most importance 
because of the dynamism here between God, us, and others, right? There's like this Trinitarian kind of flow that the gift of the prophetic requires, that it is simultaneously tethering us between God through the Holy Spirit to one another, which is kind of this beautiful dance, this beautiful interaction. And whenever the prophetic comes up, I would guess, my suspicion is, that we could sector off into three different groups in this room. Some of us might be very eager. We're kind of the closet charismatics, and we're like, ooh, the prophetic. We're bringing out all the tricks this week, and we get to get a little weird and try some stuff that makes us uncomfortable. So there's the eager. And I think that eagerness, like Paul says, we should be eager. So there's a healthiness to that. I think sometimes our eagerness can take us into the realm of a little bit odd or a little bit weird, where we need a prophetic word to validate everything. It can almost over-spiritualize things and dehumanize them. So there's the eager group. Then there's the concerned group. And some of us might be concerned for theological reasons. We might have been taught in a denomination or a church background that the gifts have ceased, that prophecy especially is not for today. It ended with the canon of scripture. Or you might have been, even worse, part of a community that practiced the prophetic And then there was some emotional manipulation or trauma or hurt that got kind of swirled up in there. And you're just like, I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and leave it behind. Or, this is probably my group, even after 10 years, I still feel like I'm sometimes in this group, the unfamiliar. And this is quite simply, you maybe have not been presented in a real life context with the prophetic ministry or the the role and place of the prophetic in an approachable way human way. You haven't experienced it for yourself or been a part of kind of the movement of the prophetic for another. The eager, the concerned, and the unfamiliar. And I would just say, this is like a 30-minute teaching, 15 minutes for me, 15 minutes for Katie. So if today raises more concerns or questions or frustrations than is helpful, all I like to do is sit in coffee shops and talk about theology and all these nerdy things. And so... I genuinely would love you to reach out if this concerns you or raises questions today. Okay, so here's, here's the basic logic that I would offer from a biblical framework for the prophetic. For those of you who were here, I taught on... Uh-oh. I taught on teaching... This is my nightmare. <laughs> my marker's out. I always have backups. Beautiful. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I taught on the gift of teaching. And I got a little nerdy, a little philosophical, for those that remember, and I talked about the three main branches of philosophy being metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. And to simplify that, we could think of metaphysics as the study of reality. And then we have knowledge as epistemology. And then this would basically be choices. How are you going to live? What are you going to do? And to make it even simpler, we could call this, this is like the terrain, the map, and the compass. And we talked about how in a Hebrew mindset, these three are all kind of connected, right? But in the Western framework that we're all saturated in, having grown up somewhat in the West, shaped by the West, these get separated out. And this framework's helpful for understanding the role of the prophetic, because In Christian culture, I feel like the story of God, we have the goodness of creation, and then we have a tragic fall. We have separation from God, and then we have this long trajectory, kind of goes like this, 
this journey and process of redemption, of the Lord trying to redeem what was lost and bring back original goodness to the world. And it's very familiar for us, I think, to focus on the fall of humanity being an ethical problem, right? It's, it's sin. It's, and when we think of sin, it's primarily behavioral. It's sinful actions, sinful choices, sinful motives manifesting in broken relationships, brokenness, separation from God. And we need someone to come and bridge that gap of ethics. But I think it's equally true that we need the Lord to come and reveal and take the initiative to bridge this gap between reality as it is and our knowledge and understanding of it. So the fall has affected not only sinful behavior, but it's affected our ability to understand and perceive things rightly, to know. We are, we are lost in two directions without Christ and without the presence of God revealing in his initiative to us, okay? And from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through to the church age in the scriptures... God is in an active, outward motion to try and bridge these two gaps and bring knowledge to us of how to live and what is real. What's most real and true about us? What's most real and true about him? What's most real and true about my friends or other people I encounter, I interact with? And the prophetic is, I would say, one of the fundamental ways that God is trying to bridge these two gaps. And in the Old Testament, it's really clear we have specific people, specific times, specific places where the Lord is kind of manifesting and speaking, guiding, whether it's Abraham out in the desert or it's Moses on a mountain. And then we have all the capital P prophets of the Old Testament, major and minor prophets, northern and southern kingdoms. And then Jesus ultimately comes as the embodiment and fulfillment of all that prophecy. And then what does he do? He breathes on his disciples. The Holy Spirit comes in the New Testament and in the church age. Now we have Paul picking up on this going, now we all get to be like those people of old. In the prophetic, there's this motion of what used to just be a trickle is now meant to be spread for all people. And here's the crazy part. If we try to extract the prophetic out of the scriptures, if you try to go through and cut, copy, paste, and delete the prophetic from this story, you don't have a story anymore. You cannot tell the God story without the dominant presence of the prophetic active and working through normal, ordinary people. I also think in our teaching series here on these gifts of the apostolic and evangelistic and then the teacher shepherds, right? I think if you lose the prophetic to hold them together... You end up with really good therapists, really good professors. You end up with passionate CEOs who are leading movements, and you end up with good marketing strategies for the evangelist. If, you rem if we remove the prophetic from the body of Christ, we end up with human effort, human ingenuity, and our natural skills. And the reality is, I think it's too messy and too complex. We, we desperately need the Lord to help speak and bridge these gaps and help us empower the church, empower our body. Prophetic gift is what I think moves us and the experience of the prophetic, whether you're on the receiving end or the giving end, it's what moves us from believing in a historic faith of rational cognitive beliefs to a participatory baptism into life in the kingdom of God. The prophetic is what 
plugs us in to the actual story. It's when Matt Hulse talks about the God story in his apostolic vision casting, inviting you to participate. The prophetic is one of the main doorways that we pass through as we realize, oh my gosh, this story of the past is the story of the present and will be the story of the future. And all of a sudden, it's not an old historical book about things that God did just in the past, but it's a real story that I'm actually actively... It's like we've been invited to step into the movie screen and participate in the plot, right? It sucks us into the story. And in wrapping up, Paul, in chapter 13, there's this verse that's often referred to by people who maybe would promote or believe that the prophetic gift has ceased. And Paul literally says, in verse 8, chapter 13, where there are prophecies, they will cease. And then he goes on to say, but now we prophesy in part, because we see and know in part. One day, those prophecies will cease when completeness comes. And historically, some branches of Christianity have interpreted completeness to mean the canonization of Scripture, that the the canon is closed and so completeness has come, which is why we don't need prophecy anymore, to which I would just ask us, really? Like, this, this is completeness? A council meeting of a bunch of old European guys deciding which books should be in the canon? I think what Paul's after here is completeness of seeing Christ face to face. And that the the role of the prophetic, it's not going to fix everything. It's not going to make it perfect and clear. But it's going to at least allow us to see realities and help us make choices in this life that we couldn't have made without it. And I'll end with these two stories. And there's a pastor of a church in New York City named Tyler Stanton. And he has this great line. He says... As Christians, as followers of Jesus, the foundation of our lives are the scriptures. This is the foundation from which we understand. It's what I talked about a few weeks ago. It's our constitutive narrative. It's the narrative that helps us understand the narrative we are now a part of living into. So the foundation of our lives is scripture, but the shape of our lives can only be described with the prophetic. So the foundation is scripture, but the shape, the way you live, the choices you're making should only be able to be described by the prophetic. And let me just give you guys two quick bullet points. And this is some of the first times I experienced the role of the prophetic, the gift of the prophetic. It's it's 2011. I'm still barely a believer. And I'm at this large worship gathering. A few hundred people in the room. And I have a little bit of Lutheran background upbringing and then years of not really following the Lord. And now I'm just getting back into it. And for me, that primarily means reading books, reading C.S. Lewis, reading Tim Keller, right? Engaging the life of the mind. And I'm in this worship meeting and this stranger, a guy named Jordan Boley, he walks up to me and says, hey man, uh, can I pray for you? And again, at this point in my life, when someone says, can I pray for you? It's like your grandma, you know, writing you a birthday card. It's something that happens there far away at another time and place and this guy lays hands on me and starts to pray and he's just kind words and I'm thinking oh this is this isn't that weird this is pretty nice and then at one point he just shifts and he he was so normal he wasn't weird about it but he goes man I just keep I just keep hearing the Lord say he's called you up from Bethel he's called you up from Bethel which is you know a historical city in the ancient Near East from scripture and he's 
he's just saying it over and over again. And I go from, wow, this is kind of not as awkward as I thought, to bursting into tears because little does this stranger know, four weeks before that meeting that I'm at, 2,500 miles away in in St. Paul, Minnesota, I just received my diploma from Bethel University and then had taken this huge risk to go do this wild thing with my life. And now here this stranger is saying, yeah, isn't this weird? I just keep hearing the Lord say, he's called you up from Bethel. He's called you up from Bethel. And it was disillusioning, right? Because how could he know? (laughs) And there was an immediacy and a reality of God that it sucked me into. And and then five or six years later, I ended up working in that organization called YWAM for six years. Five or six years later, Katie and I start feeling some hunches to move to Colorado and do church planning, do grad school, do some education stuff. And we have flown back to the Midwest. We've bought a car. We've drove down to Kansas City. And we're at our friend Adam Cox's and Julie Cox's church called Nava, which is part of our church network, 24-7 Prayer. And after a normal Sunday gathering, we're, tr- we're walking out of the building, and some young guy, probably 22 years old, comes up to us and says, can I pray for you guys? I just felt the Lord gave me a picture or a word for you. And we're like, yeah, sure, of course. This is pretty normal for us at this point. And he puts his hands on us, and he goes, the picture I saw in my imagination was of a big eagle flying over the countryside, searching. And then it came down, and it plucked you guys up, And I heard the Lord say, I'm making a home for them in the mountains. And then it plucked you up and the eagle flew you and placed you next to this mountain range. And he goes, does that mean anything to you? And he has no idea that we just bought a car, drove down for the weekend to Kansas City, and we're going to walk out of that church gathering, get in our car, drive to Denver, Colorado, and move here. And again... What happens in that moment is the reality of the God story plugs into our stories. And I'd say that's the fundamental purpose of the prophetic. It might be giving direction, but more than anything, it's, it's inviting us into... It's like that line Paul has, I think, in Galatians where he says, not that I know him, but that he knows me. It plugs us into that reality. And here's, here's the question I'll prompt with as Katie takes over. The foundation of our lives is scripture, and the shape of our lives can only be explained with the prophetic. And, and I don't say this in a, a heavy way, but in a challenging way, is that true about our lives? Think of the God story falls apart, cannot be told without the place of the prophetic. What happens to our stories if you remove the prophetic? Are they just the same? Or is God actively, are we ones like Paul's admonishing us, are we eagerly desiring this to be a part of our life because we're dependent on it? So I'll hand it off to Katie to give us some instruction and practice. Okay, so good. So that was Dave's, plea basically to listen to me, (laughs) which I appreciate. Uh, So basically my role for the second part of teaching is to give a little bit of a how-to and then a little bit of an application that we're going to do together. So our working definition for today on 
prophecy is really basically hearing God's voice for another person or for a group. And for today, we're primarily going to be sitting on hearing God's voice for an individual. And Paul says this gift is for the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting of individuals. So when we think about just trying to hear God's voice together today and in general, those will be our riverbanks. As we're trying to travel down this river of prophecy, it should always fall within the bounds of strengthening, encouraging, and bringing comfort. And if we give a word outside of that, we're outside of our boundaries for the gift of prophecy for what we're talking about today. John uh, 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I was thinking of our friend Adam, who shares a story of a time when he was just sitting in a meadow. He was like rolling green hills, and it was full of sheep. And he, he kind of had this verse in the back of his mind while he was sitting there watching the sheep interact. And he saw this one sheep in particular approach a boulder in front of him. And the sheep runs, hits the boulder, backs up, hits the boulder again, backs up, and he gets stuck behind this boulder. So the sheep's surrounded by grass, surrounded by space, and yet the sheep gets stuck behind this big boulder. And I don't know if the shepherd had to actually go and get the sheep and pivot it or what happened, but the sheep was legitimately stuck behind this big rock and didn't know how to get around it. And I thought of that story preparing for this message because in that moment, that little sheep, he just needed another friend sheep to come alongside the boulder and say, hey, come this way, (laughs) come this way. The shepherd's over here. I see him and um, come follow me as I follow the shepherd. And so the gift of prophecy for us as a community, it's those moments when we as little sheep, we just get stuck behind a boulder and we keep hitting it, we keep hitting it. And the gift of prophecy for one another is to be the person that sees the shepherd in that moment, steps to the side of the boulder and says, hey, come this way. I see the shepherd. Just come follow me as I follow the shepherd. And we can also do that for people that are outside of the church too, which we'll talk about later. But we basically, we need help following the shepherd sometimes. And that can be the gift of, the, of prophecy. There's so many different ways to teach on prophecy, and I've heard it in so many different ways, and I wrestled with how I wanted to teach it to us today. And I'm going to use the framework of John 14:6, when Jesus said, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And it's not going to be an exegetical teaching on that verse in particular. It's me kind of pulling it out of context and using it as our framework for hearing God's voice. But just in my personal experience, that verse is really pointed at, like, how can we practically follow Jesus in our day-to-day life? I think it works. So, and it gives us a nice three-point sermon, you know? Okay, so the first type of prophecy is the way. And this would be a directional word that we could give one another or a group. And one person in our community that I feel like already does this really well is Matt Holst. And I'd be curious, I won't do this, but I'd be curious how many of us have been given a prophetic word by Matt that actually changed the direction of our life. And Dave alluded to this story of us moving to Denver. But long story short, basically, Dave and I were in Nepal praying about moving there long term and while we were there I started to feel this 
inkling that I really wanted to go back to grad school. And when I thought about grad school, I thought about Denver Seminary. Because I had toured it, I knew about the program, so I kind of had Denver in my mind. And I was open to an online program or something like that, but yeah, I pictured Denver. And so I told that to Dave one night while we were in Nepal. It's kind of confusing to Dave because we're in Nepal f to move there. And yet I was feeling this sense. And so we just prayed one night, God, make it clear what our next step should be. And the next morning we went, we woke up and when there was internet, we got an email from Matt inviting us to move out to Denver to plan a church with him. And so there's this very clear, bold ask in that, that he fully submitted to us. But in that, it gave us such clear direction. Oh, this is actually our next step. It was really clear to us. And so I think the greatest benefit of submitting to prophecy as a directional thing is this sense of purpose that comes when you make decisions and when you direct your life based on words of the Lord. So this is prophecy as direction. Second, we're going to talk about prophecy and hearing God's voice as a return to the truth. So the way is directional. We can also think about this as forward moving. And the truth, we're going to call this a realigning, a realignment word. And this is often looking back. So this one is uh, my favorite, and it's typically the one that when I think about prophecy, I often think about it being an act of realigning back to truth. And this is realigning us as individuals to the truth of our identity. And it's also realigning us back to the truth of who God is. And so if you think about, as we're going about our days, just how much information we're constantly inundated with and how much information is actually lying to us or giving us partial truths or it's just a little bit twisted, and then we start to get, if we think about a straight line of following after Jesus, we just start to angle away a little bit. And it's subtle. And I often think of spaces like this or when we gather as house churches or meet with a good friend and they speak truth over us. That's a moment of realignment back to the sole pursuit of Jesus. So it's a realignment back to what's true about who I am and who God is. Often these words are very personal and they pierce through a lie that we are currently believing at a given time. And Kevin last week talked about the gift of the prophetic being like an anchor to the last thing that God said. So that's where you get the backwards component of, okay, I've been living my life for a while. I'm starting to veer in this direction. I'm starting to believe this lie. And the gift of prophecy in that moment brings me back to the truth of what God has said to me about who he is, either in scripture, in my own life experience, things like that, and who I am. Okay, benefit of this, when we submit to prophecy as the truth, we find rest. My spirit is most at rest. Our spirits are most at rest when we're in that full alignment, because that's who we were made to be as humans. We were made to be in this perfect communion with God, and the gift of prophecy is that act of realignment back to that perfect union. All right, last, we have Jesus, the way, the truth, the gift of prophecy as the life. And we'll call this the blessing, the blessing stuff. And if we've been looking forward with directional words, and we've been looking back with realignment words, blessing words are a gift of the present. It's when God pierces through in a given moment and God shows up today right now. There's this sense of the God of the Bible is the God of today, and he's present, and he's speaking, and it's here. And 
I find this is a little bit less frequent in my life when it feels like that powerful moment of God speaking in the here and now. But we call this the bonus stuff. And I'll tell one story. I was sitting in a lecture five, six years ago, and this guy, Bob Hartley, was leading the space. And he called my name out in a group and just said, Katie, will you stand up? And I think he heard the name Katie. So he asked if there was a Katie in the room. So I stood up, and he started speaking about a center of hope that had been created deep within me at a young age. And he said, a center of hope was created deep within you as a little girl. I see this hope center being cultivated around you in a secret place with blankets. And it's where hope has been established in you that's unshakable. So the key part for me, he said that a hope center was being cultivated around me in a secret place with blankets. And similar to Dave's word about Bethel, little did this guy Bob Hartley know, but when I first started to learn how to read, I would crawl into my closet in a back corner where my mom kept a bunch of blankets, and I would sit on top of this pile of blankets with my Bible that I was just given in a flashlight, and I would turn the lights off, and I would just read the Bible in the corner of my closet with a little flashlight. And I'm eight, nine, ten years old, and I was little, so it's not like I'm spending hours back there, but I'd jump back there for five minutes, read my Bible, go about, and that was my secret place. Because, you know, in the secret, in the quiet place, that worship song was really cool. <laughs> so I wanted a legit secret place. But it was this moment where God pierced through in the moment, like, whoa, God is real. He saw me back then when I was just a little girl trying to read my Bible the best that I could. He saw me on that pile of blankets, and he sees me today, and he's real, and he's active, and he's speaking. I would just say the benefit of this one is it's really fun. And there's this sense of because of moments like that in my life, Christianity, it's not just the right way for me to live, it's actually the best way. And it's the only way that I could ever really live my life now because of those moments where God's really pierced through and, I, and he's been so real to me. And so he's not only the right way, but he's actually the best, best way. Okay, so how's that for a little framework? Okay, that's what we're gonna be practicing today. And then a couple of how-tos that I would submit to you guys to consider. Practical guidance. So there's no formula here with hearing God's voice. It's just familiarity. No formula, just familiarity. And so we're trying to learn the shepherd's voice, and we're all on a lifelong journey of trying to do that. So it's going to be unique to your relationship with God, just like any other relationship in your life. If today feels like one of the first times you've ever really tried hearing God's voice, here's a couple of ways that you could think about it. So we're going to break into our home churches, and first we're just going to try to partner up. And when you pray, submit your own thoughts, imaginations, body sensations, anything like that, that you just submit that to God, and you ask Him to speak to you. And then a key part with hearing God's voice, you just need a little bit of silence. Hold that space of silence for a little bit for one another. And sometimes that can be the most unnatural part of prayer for you to just praying through and always hearing words. Just create a little bit of space to try to listen. And then as you're listening, you might have like a thought that comes to your mind that seems a little bit outside of your own thought life. So a thought comes to mind. You might get a picture or have a little movie play in your mind. 
You might get an impression or a feeling in your body, like, I'm not sure why, but my chest feels really tight since we started listening. Um, is there, do you have that sense in your body ever? Do you ever feel anxious and your, and your chest is tight? Something like that. You might remember a parable or a story in scripture or a story in your own life. And so you might just want to work off of that if that comes to your mind when you're trying to listen and pray. And in all of this, I would submit to us that our posture, anytime we're giving a word that we think is from God, that it would be in the posture of both humility and boldness. So whenever we're giving a word, there should almost always be an intro sentence that says, I feel like maybe I might be hearing blank. I'm getting the impression that blank. And then always that I submit that to you. And when we approach from that place of humility, not that we know or not that we're certain, but when we approach from that place, there's a little bit more wiggle room for us to be wrong, and it's okay. And then also boldness, though, because when I think about Matt's email to us to move to Denver, there was humility in it because he just submitted it to us, but he had a very clear, bold ask of us. Hey, would you sell everything that you own and move to Denver (laughs) to church plant with us? That's a very bold Thing to ask of anyone and but what he got in response was actually Dave and I feeling relieved that we had such a clear answer to our prayer and he actually got a bold response and us saying yeah I think that's actually what God's saying so we want humility and boldness as we're giving prophetic words and then this one is really practical from our friend Christine anytime we hear from God There's going to be a revelation component to it, just raw, what we feel like we're seeing, hearing, or the impression that we're getting from God. And then we have the interpretation. Okay, so revelation. I'm seeing a picture of a turtle deep in the sea, deep waters. My interpretation of that, I feel like you might be getting an invitation to go to greater depths with God, and there's going to be a lot of peace and stillness. Does that resonate for you? And then that person then gets to walk out the application. So when I think about giving a prophetic word, I think about often, I'm gonna offer the revelation that I think I might have. I'm gonna offer an option, and I'm gonna offer half the interpretation. And then the other person begins, and they actually get to actually fulfill what's the full interpretation for me, and they get to apply it to their life. So I rarely to never touch the application for a person. And I just offer an option of a way to interpret. But ultimately, we have to think about this person receiving the word. And there has to be a point where I end and the prophetic word is given. And then they get to take it with however they want to. Does that make sense? That's also a safety net for weird control and manipulation that we don't enter into those waters. And then just really practically, I would ask all of us to be willing (laughs) to not prophesy about mates, dates, or babies. And that's kind of just like a cliche saying, but the reason that we do that is just there's so much emotion around who we're going to date, marry, be with for life. Babies, same thing, so much emotion around that, and then dates can kind of just get weird. I would ask you guys to not prophesy about those three things, but otherwise we're going to have fun. Okay, any practical questions? Oh, I'm not confident today. Some people are just approaching this. They'll say she did that in two days and just read books. Or like it took 50 years. But it's like, well, that's a simple question. 
Where yeah. did you first meet around the prophetic and then just kind of where, how long did that take to where you're talking to where you are and experiencing that same? Yeah. I would say, so I grew up Baptist and I grew up not really exposed to the Holy Spirit. And then I also did YWAM and that's a very charismatic environment. And there was a specific moment about a year into YWAM where somebody prayed for me and they really spoke that the gift of prophecy was going to be a part of my life. And then from that point on, it was kind of a benchmark moment. Okay, I'm just going to try a lot. I'm just going to try. And for me, at least lately, it often looks like I feel like God brings a person to my mind. And then I often don't feel like I hear the word until I'm actually with that person. So lately I've been having to, okay, I feel like God's saying something about Mia. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Mia, can I pray for you? Or God's saying something about a coworker, and it's not until I'm actually with that coworker that I feel like I get the sense. And so it always feels a little risky, and I'm just trying. This is like years, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah, years, years, for sure, yeah. I would say I've been trying for five years. <clears throat> Any other questions? I feel like that's a key point, though, real quick. Of like, I feel like following Jesus and in these giftings, I think trying is radical more than perfection. So even hearing Katie, what she just said, from the get-go, trying is what she did more so than perfecting. Yeah. And that's why she said, oh, I'm not perfect, I'm not confident. Why? Because what she's confident is trying and resting on Jesus compared to, I'm the prophet who has the power. Yes. Like, no, no, I'm trying, I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm offering it up, and I feel like from the get-go of spiritual gifts, that's key. Just saying, hey, I'm going to try, and then you actually help me figure it out. Yeah. So that's what I heard you say. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And I think the fun part of practicing as a community, as a church, is there's a lot of safety in doing it in relationships with people. So if I give Mo, my cousin, a prophetic word, I could probably be a little bit more bold because she's going to be like, we'll be fine. <laughs> She'll tell me it's wrong or correct me or it's really important. But I have enough relational equity with Mo that I can take a little bit more of a risk. And then with my coworker, it might be a little bit more, you know, I hold back a little bit unless it feels really clear to me. Yeah, I think there's relationships that feel more okay to be risky as you're practicing. Okay, anything else? Great. So this is actually kind of fun. While we were worshiping, Brad felt like he got a word for us as a community. We talked about prophecy as hearing God's voice for an individual and for a group. And so Brad's just going to practice this hearing God's voice for a group component. And you can come on up and share a little bit of your word. And then we'll break off and practice hearing God's voice for individuals. Hi, guys. I don't know. And then all this started, and I was just like pretty confident that this that word that I got at midnight two nights ago was for you guys. So Joshua five thirteen, this is right before they're going into Jericho. They've just crossed um, the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and all of the promises that started with Abraham are getting ready to be fulfilled. They have Jericho, this like 
huge city with walls that they're about to have to conquer. And Joshua, I think this is a dream. When Joshua's by Jericho, or some translations say in Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, which I would submit to you is, is Jesus before he became incarnate. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so, basically, he sees the commander of the Lord's army. He says, are you for me or for our adversaries? He says, no, I'm just the commander of the Lord's army. So he's saying, I'm not on your side, but you better be on my side, essentially. And he says, "What, what do you have to say to me? And he says, take off your sandals for the ground you're standing on is holy. And so I would just say that, like, as I've been first introduced to the prophetic from three years ago and, and learning, and when I was first introduced to it, I was like, what in the world is this? And we've all seen maybe some bad examples. But I think the point that we, that we take is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus and say, what do you have to say, he will speak to us. And that when we are on his side and we focus on him, then he, then he speaks to us. And so if any of you, I don't, I don't know where everyone is. Maybe you all just love the prophetic and are walking in it for way longer than me, but I know that it's so easy to like, when you start to practice and get into this like lab time that we're about to do, that it's really easy to be like, I can't do that. I've never, maybe I've done it once. Maybe I've heard from the Lord. But when we fix our eyes on him, he will speak to us. Our ears will open up. It's going to happen. But if you're focusing on yourself, you will not hear from the Lord. You will just hear yourself or you will hear the enemy. So I would really encourage you guys to just jump in and try it and do it. And it's scary. It's weird. But like, if we have our eyes down, it's, it's more scary. When we have our eyes up, he just takes control and our ears open up and he speaks to us. And it's so, so beautiful. So that's all I have to say. Thank you, Brad. That is a good word. So let's break into groups of two. And don't go with your spouse or your family member. And grab somebody that you would feel okay practicing with. There's, always no, there's no pressure here, as always. Feel free if you don't want to practice. That's okay. But that's what we're inviting you to do now is grab a buddy and go through that process of just submitting your own thoughts, imaginations, and ideas for this person to the Lord and ask that he would speak to you for this person. And we're going to try to get a word for our friends, either in the way, a directional word, a truth word or realignment, or uh, the life, just a fun blessing word over them. And we're going to do that for about five minutes. And then we're going to switch and one of you will pick a coworker or somebody that you're going to see this week. And the two of you will try to pray and hear a word for that individual. And then just one of you will walk out with that word, trying to give it to another person later this week. And whoever has the person that they're going to see, make a little note in your phone of what you guys come up with together. And then you can make this as down to earth as you want to or as directly 
of God speaking to you as you want to. So as you're presenting this to someone who may not know God, you just say, hey, I was just thinking this about you. Or you could be as explicit as, I was praying for you this weekend. I felt like God might be saying this about your life. Does that resonate? So you can kind of gauge based on your relationship with the person how direct to be. But go ahead and just connect with your partner and think of one person And then you guys will both just pray for that one person. And then one person will walk out of here with a note in their phone to give to somebody this week. All right, so that concludes our time together today. Final plea, Paul says that we would earnestly desire this gift. And so I just pray that us as a community, that we'd actually be known for being the awkward ones that go up to someone and say, like, hey, I'm just going to try this. Not sure how right it is, but I just pray that we would be willing to be awkward in the name of yeah hearing God's voice and almost that our greatest fear would be living our life without God's voice in our life and that would be way bigger than the fear of the awkward moment or whatever holds us back from trying I pray that this felt like a safe place for you guys to try and that it continues to feel like a safe place to try and again if anything felt weird to to you today or you have more questions I invite you to give Dave a call and he's a great person to talk through stuff like this with. Okay. We're done. Good job. And come with testimonies next week if anything fun happens. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.